Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to the Best in the World with Richard Parr. I've been a sports broadcaster for over 10 years, working at the likes of Al Jazeera, Sky Sports and Eurosport. I've interviewed some of the most talented people on the planet, such as Manny Pacquiao, Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams, Michael Phelps, Latin Ibrahimovic, Floyd Mayweather and many, many more. And so each week on the Best in the World podcast, I'll be speaking to athletes and sports stars who have reached the pinnacles of their careers. These are people who have been world champions or the equivalent, be it Olympic or Paralympic champions or world number ones. We'll look at what these talented individuals do to achieve their success. This can include training, nutrition, determination, sacrifices, time management, home environment and much, much more. I want to know what makes these people different to the average man or woman on the street. And perhaps we can use these insights for our own sporting ambitions or just our everyday lives. First up on the show is Chester Williams, the only non-white player in South Africa's 1995 Rugby World Cup winning squad. We talk about everything from how he got into rugby to winning the cup, time management, the movie Invictus, his friendship with Nelson Mandela, and much more. Of course, if you've got any feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter at Richard underscore Parr, that's P-A-R-R. And you can also visit the website richardparr.net. Also get in touch if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the show. But because this is the first episode, I'm giving it away. It's going to be sponsor free. But enough of that for now. Let's get on with it. Let's hear from the legendary Chester Williams. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Chester, welcome to the Best in the World with Richard Parr. Uh, obviously, you've got a long storied career, Rugby World Cup triumphs, uh, you've been a coach, but what are you up to right now in your life and your career? Um, I'm a rugby coach for a university back home, UWC, University of the Western Cape, predominantly black, black uh, players. And uh, so, yes, that's what I'm doing. And I'm also uh, marketing director for a petroleum company called Ford Africa Petroleum. And what in particular, from your time as a player, 
do you try and teach on these young players at university? What, what, what would you say are the one or two real crucial things you, you try and get into their heads? It's probably discipline, you know, self-discipline to go out there and do the extra work uh, as an athlete because um, that's the most important, you know. And meaning extra work is not when you have your own time. It's when you're on the training field with the coach and with the respective trainers in the gym and work as hard as possible as you can for that time being because you still need that recovery to for, for uh, after your training session so you can't go and do some extra work like I did anyway um, and uh, you know so it's, it's it's very important to understand that you know not everyone I want to have the talent but a lot of people have potential okay and how, how do we go from potential to greatness yeah it's uh, through hard work uh, through extra work to hard and do it that extra thing that you uh, identify the the your weaknesses you know and and if there's any i mean uh, surely if your potential there is some weaknesses in there and where there's one two or three or five different uh, principles you have to go and work on it and that's what i did you know what i knew i didn't have enough speed and didn't have um didn't have the capability of uh, the high ball for instance catching the eyeball but then I went and work on it um, the speed never got bit not much faster but um, I started to work on my vision because I had better um, vision on how to see when things are going to happen before it happens and uh, and that made me actually the best in my position and and are there any routines you use today that you can that you use back in your playing days, things that you would do every day that you still use today, which you, you've, you've learned from, from rugby in, in your everyday life now? Well, it's probably the, the, the most important thing for me is probably time. Time, uh, you know, is very important for me. It shows that you respect other people. And I'm very adamant with those with time, you know. When they tell me I need to be uh, at a certain time, I'm always there five minutes before. And if I'm late, then I really did something must have happened or kept me back from it. But at least people understand that because then they know time is very important. Time plays a very important role in your, in your, in your, in your discipline with regards to um when and why, what when and why you're doing things do you, do you how do you schedule that do you have a little notebook do you put it in your iphone does someone look after that for you how, how do you do that or are you just across every time <laughs> you have to be somewhere no of course my wife is very very um, diligent with that she uh, makes sure that my bookings are 100 percent right and make sure that i'm there on, on time not that she have to but i'm always reminds me on, on that as well and then also when while i'm here um, see scheduled for me and then obviously uh, communicate accordingly via you know, the, the whatsapps and, and and all the social networks you, uh, you've got well, that, 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 that's, that's fantastic and um, I recently um, heard that you've just got a, a degree in mm-hmm. in sports yes I've decided to go while I was working in Romania in my spare time I just thought I might as well go to university and do something you know and and that is probably something that I always wanted to get behind my name is the degree and uh, I went and studied a BA degree in sports uh, science for uh, at the University of Timisoara in Romania and about five weeks ago I got graduated from uh, with uh, with my degree oh congratulations <laughs> From that course, what is there that you've learnt from that that you wish you'd known as a player? It's probably the management of uh, of myself and and others around you, and I think that is actually going to make me a much better coach now because I I've learned uh, that you have to understand the individual a lot more um, to be a team player. 
and and you mentioned your coaching uh, uh, you mentioned Romania there I believe you've done some in Uganda and a few other countries as well how easy is it to convey what you want to coach mm. these players when it's in different languages that's probably one of the aspects that I've that make me uh, probably different to all the coaches now because I've, I've learned to understand uh, the different cultures of different individuals uh, whether they're from Romania New Zealand Australia South Africa and uh, when I was in Uganda I only worked obviously with all the um, Ugandan people but then I went to Tunisia I worked with Tunisian and then I went to Romania and in Romania I worked with Romanians Australians South Africans English Australians all different cultures there and how to bring the cultures together made me actually um, think about the game and to think about how do I communicate with each and everyone at the same level um, and eventually I found a method to to make sure that everybody understands what's my what I want and expects from them oh wow well, and of course that's that's very different to um, your childhood uh, when did you first get interested into rugby well, uh, I've got the family rugby tree as well, you know, because uh, my dad was a very well-known rugby player in my community. He played for the Proteas at the time, which is actually a black Springbok team uh, representing so the black people when the touring sides come in to start, come visit South Africa. And then uh, I, st- but I stopped when I was seven, 60, 11 years old and started to play again when I was 17 years old. And um, from there on, obviously, I started to make all the levels to to play for uh, Western Province League and then Western Province. Um, and Western Province League is actually the so the so called black and an 18 school team. And then we played against obviously the Western Province team is the white school team. Then we went to international or national uh, tournament called the Craven Week, where we play all the different provincial schools play against each other. That's not a top of the top in South Africa. And um, and from there on, I got selected for Western Province under 20 and became in the Western Province uh, League again, seniors, and then Western Province seniors as well. And from there, I got selected in 1993 for the Springbok team. Oh, wow. And um, But my my, uh, my uncle, Everett Williams, also, he played in, against the English in 1984 against the English in South Africa for the Springboks. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, and, and obviously, you had your father, you had your uncle... Um, who was it you looked up to the most and who do you think you learned from the most uh, as you were developing as a rugby player? Well, I think I've, 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 I've uh, admired my dad, obviously, um, because he would have been just uh, the way he played, for who he played, and I always visit, we went with him to the rugby games, being a ball boy as well, sometimes as well. Um, learning from the game itself, I think I've learned from overall um, with regards to the game itself. Um, because uh, the more I watch and see it, the better I became. And I always tell the young kids today, you know, if you want to um, know more about rugby, or if you want to learn more about rugby, it's actually what you see on TV all the time, watch it as much as you can. And when you get to the, to the game or the practice, it actually happened naturally because you, you, see, you already have it back of your mind subconsciously. When you rejoined rugby at 16, mm. 17, was it, I'm going to win the World Cup? Or... How difficult and how difficult was it being a black player during apartheid? To when you told friends mm. that you had whatever this dream was mm. uh, and what they thought. Well, uh, initially I was just wanted to become to 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 be one of uh, I would become a, um, a, a Western Province League 
player that can't play the national Kremwick side for 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 my province, and uh, and when I got went and played there, I got selected for the so-called South African B team and the school's B team. And then I realized, but wow, I, I, somehow I must have potential and, and I can actually achieve something out of playing rugby. And uh, and then I, that's when I suddenly realized, look, I've, I've got a chance to, to become a Springbok one day if I really want to. And from then onwards, I worked, so I worked actually very, very hard. I remember, you know, I had to travel by train uh, to work. I was working in the Navy at the time. Um, by train for two hours, standing most of the time because the train was full, um, you know, because in those days the black people were only allowed to, 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 to travel in a third class carriage because the first and the second class was only for white people. And um, I would go to work for two hours and come back from, and then go straight to Western Province, the white, the white Western Province team, go and train for them as well after, after work. And I seldom got home before 11 o'clock because I had to travel by train. And then when I get to the train station, there was no no taxis for me, so I had to run back home or walk home to get back. In. And I got up in the morning at half past three to get the, catch a train at half past four in the morning to get back to work. And that happened for about five to six days a week. And, um, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was difficult times, you know, when some teams, most of the time, they couldn't use the same bathroom or toilets as the, as the white people at the station. So uh, you had to queue up on the line for to using toilets. Um, and then also, you know, there was, uh, I remember vividly the times when I was playing for my club uh, in Paul. Uh, there was Paul League, you know, there was a black team that we were playing for. And we would go on a bus to try to play against the, the, the white teams, and then you had to get dressed in a train in a, in a, on a bus to run on the field because the change room was only for white people. Get off the field, they were they, we get straight on the bus back home because after 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 match function was only for whites whites. So it was difficult times, but you know what? Um, I wanted to become a springbok, and I did everything. I tried everything that I could. Um, and I uh, did everything I could and eventually, obviously, uh, um, I became a springbok through my hard work, through my discipline, to, to respect for other people. Um, and, and, and that's still the thing that I'm doing. I I'm still believe that if you have respect for, for another person, he will treat you exactly the same. If they don't, you just move on and, 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 and keep on learning and keep on doing things that is working for you in life. Mm. And and so then we, we we get towards the World Cup, nineteen ninety five. South Africa is um, hosting it, and you get injured just before the tournament. <clears throat> yeah. Mentally, how did you cope with that when you're thinking I can play on the grander stage, and then it's it's almost just taken away from you? What what, what was going through your head when that happened? Well, it was extremely disappointing, you know, because uh, when I got injured, I thought, okay, I've got two weeks before the opening match, and. Um, I really wanted to play in that opening match because you know what it, what it would mean for South Africa because obviously Nelson Mandela and myself had already discussed about um, the change that I will make while I'm in the Rugby World Cup. Unfortunately for me, I got injured and um, my recovery took longer than I thought it was and I had to withdraw from the team. It was really disappointing. It was, uh, was, I think, for a lot of South Africans as well, knowing what, uh, what it meant for South Africa for me to be part of the Rugby World Cup. Um, lucky for me, two weeks later, I got called back into the Rugby World Cup again. And uh, obviously, I was very nervous, very uh, knowing that the knowing that the world is watching me, knowing that uh, people want to see 
if I'm really um, an merit in, the, in this team. And l- luckily for me, or through all my hard work, through all my patience and, and respect for other people, is that I uh, scored four tries in that opening game in the Rugby World Cup in the quarterfinals. And obviously the next day the, uh, the billboard was full of Chester Williams, the Black Pearl, you know. So it was great to see me back in the team. It was great to be part of the team. Um, and when I got back actually after the... Uh, um, after my injury in the team, we were not only friends, but we were people who came like a family, the team, you know, we were so close and and so uh, ex- um, excited about winning this Rugby World Cup because we understood then the meaning of us winning the Rugby World Cup. And you mentioned that you were on, on billboards and I think uh, you were on uh, planes yes. as well. How much pressure did that then put on you? And, and was it at any point an unwanted distraction taking away from the game itself for you? I don't think it was a distraction for me. I think it was great for me. For my, and I, I mean, in those days, I mean, we were still amateur, so it was uh, as, a, as a way of marketing myself, getting more uh, um, um, uh, people aware of Chester Williams, the, the Black Pearl in South Africa, that's what they called me. And uh, it was this, uh, yes, it was also a lot of pressure on me with regards to representing my people in the World Cup uh, and convincing them that there is hope for them to become Springboks one day or at any level, at any um, uh, sport in principle they participate in. And uh, for me, for being to to go on the field and do what I what I do best is obviously at the time was playing rugby and represent my country with honour and pride it was uh, was a lot of pressure but off the field there was a lot of pressure as I just mentioned now to you is that because the expectations from people when you see them uh, but when you're on that field is so much easier because you're in control you know you control you know what you want to do how what you have to do how you're going to do things because you understand the game uh, much better than anyone else in your position probably that's why i was number one in, in my position so um um the minute i walk off the field the pressure is back on me because the expectations because it's more and more because the better you play the more expectations are there and the more tries you score, the more tries people want you to score. And the more tackles you make, the more tack- better tackles they expect you to do. Um, uh, but you know what? It was, uh, it was also great to know that my teammates were so in supporting of me. They was always around me to make sure that I'm, I'm looked after. Uh, so yes, um, and especially in my when I was a player, I was very shy and very uh, reserved, you know, in my in my approach and everything. Um, so. Um, Rugby made me grow uh, as a human being actually stronger. Did it help being shy at all? I think I would have been probably better for me to be more open and be more uh, liberal to my to everyone around me. It would probably give me a better uh, world image, um, and not only in South Africa. Uh, but that's just the life. That's the way life is, you know. Man. But obviously, because I would teach my kids not to be like that. My kids now must be really open. They must. They must be very. They must communicate with everybody. They must say. They must tell them what their mind says, tells them to say, and um, and and that's the way it is, you know. The, I I was shy, but it's might be meant to be like that. Did you have any pre-game rituals? No, not really. Like, oh, the only, I mean, only time I, yeah, this one thing I did, I was, I would whistle before the game in, in the change room. Um, 
uh, and uh, and the song, and it was always the yes, I don't believe in if anymore. That was the, what I would whistle in the change room. Um, if, I, if it made if it if it made sense to them, uh, the people around me, I don't know, but to me it made sense like to make the whistle. If it sounded like that, but I did that, do that, and. Um, no, that's probably the only thing I did. And then just before kickoff, I would always go and greet the people in, the, uh, in my corner when I go and stand to say, hello, how are you? Just to make myself more relaxed. And and once the game starts, obviously, to that I know that I'm focused and I know what to do. Oh, wow. And did you do those things because it was like a lucky omen or, or, or was it just it became a, a habit or... I would say it was not, uh, it's probably become more a, a, um, a thing that makes me more relaxed okay. before the games, make me more focused <coughs> on what I want to do and, and what the, the team needs me to do. And, and that's what I, what I, why I did that whistling and that's why I went to say hello to the people just to make sure that I'm focused, I know what I need to do because I think every sporting individual, he's got his uh, certain, certain ritual that he does to make sure that he can be successful in, when, in whatever competition he's going to compete. So Rugby World Cup final, did you do anything differently? Rugby World Cup final, no, exactly the same. Um, uh, nothing has changed. It's always it's always been the same. Um, from from uh, probably from day one when I played for Western Province, my first game, I started to do that. Um, maybe because my first game, I was too nervous, and I started to whistle in the change room. No one stopped me, so I just continued doing it, and uh, I've never never stopped since. I remember my physio Bruce McLaughlin would come came to me one day and said, you know. When I was when I after I retired, I said, "Sister, you know what I hated? What I hated the most of you was when you whistled in the change room because I couldn't understand what was it, what were you whistling? You just whistle and it didn't make sense." I said, "Oh my word, this is it was uh, yes, I, I mean I don't believe in if more anymore. That's what I tried to whistle." And he said, "Oh, but it doesn't make it didn't make sense at that time." <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. <laughs> the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Now, this is the part of the show which would normally have a sponsor, but as I told you, this episode is sponsor-free, doing it for you for free. But of course, if you want to be a sponsor in the future, just send me an email, richard at richardparr.net. We've got lots more interesting things coming up with Chester, and if you like this show, please go onto iTunes, give me a good review, give me a five-star rating. That'll help boost the interest in the show, and the more interest, the even greater guests we can get, and the more learning we can all benefit from these top people around the world. And if you don't have the time to do that, but you like the show, tell a friend. Say I was listening to the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Take a listen when you're on the train, when you're on the bus, when you're in the gym. I would really appreciate that. But let's enjoy the rest of this interview with Chester Williams. Lots of interesting things coming up. Perhaps something very interesting about his future as a coach. Stay tuned. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. And what were your emotions when that final whistle went and you realised that you were on top mm. of the world and, and what it meant for your country? I think it was just a big relief for myself and my teammates, you know, and just to see the people around the stadium, people embracing each other, some were crying, some were laughing, some were holding their heads in disbelief that South Africa has won the Rugby World Cup. I think um, that's probably the first day that time that we really saw a United Nations uh, nation um, or rainbow nation together in South Africa uh, with the help of Nelson Mandela of course and the Spimok team winning it um, that combination was um, what do you call it lethal uh, uh, for us to win that rugby world cup but I, I probably I believe still that when the All Blacks saw Nelson Mandela walk on the, uh, uh, on, the on the field greeting both teams they probably realized wow these guys are really, really highly motivated because it's going to be difficult to find another uh, icon of the world like Nelson Mandela. And you spent a lot of time with him, I believe, and I believe he was at, uh, at your first wedding. Um, what was it about him that drew so many people towards him? And what can everyone, what attributes about him could everyone? embrace and learn from today i think his humanity you know he's uh he, he was just another human being that respect and and uh, other people and never looked down on people always wants to help um and uh, you know for someone that spends so much time away from home in a prison that is not even uh, so small that you just have a, you can only have a single bed in there with a wash basin and a toilet uh, to spend that time there and come out of prison and still for, give forgiveness to all the people out in the world out there, it's just it's amazing. And um, the time he spent um, in jail was uh, with only adults. And when I, when I went and visited him with my kids, he couldn't stop playing for an hour with the kids because that's what he missed most in, in prison was, was seeing children. And that's why he gave so much time of his life to children when he got out of prison. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I was there recently in Cape Town as well mm. to see his cell. Just uh, completely inspiring. 
Um, did you realise how much of an important role that match would play in, in the country as far as apartheid? Well, I think we started to realise that already just before the quarterfinals. When we play, when we when we got the, uh, the when we got through to the quarterfinals, we had to go to the township and um, obviously at first the players did that, the white players did not go to the townships because that's what Nelson Mandela uh, um, uh, requested them to do, and uh, and and then Francois came and tell us that you know times have changed, so we need to be. Uh, and we went and visited the township, uh, and that's when we realized that this is bigger than just rugby. Because uh, when we got to the township, the kids, that was just amazing that we were working with the black kids. And when it was time for us to leave, the white guys didn't want to get in the bus and to leave because they, they, couldn't, understand, they couldn't believe how happy the kids were, were to see them and, uh, and, and, and still have a smile on with, despite the circumstances they, they, they're in. So um, that's when we all realized that you know there's bigger, there's, there's something bigger than just rugby uh, in South Africa. We have to not have to, but we want to win the rugby World Cup to make sure that our country will change forever. Talking about how the country's changing forever, and, and talking about rugby leading into this tournament, there was a, a bit of a row about the quota system yeah. of, of players in the team. What are your thoughts on that? This current World Cup. For this current World Cup right now, there, there was a row that yeah. there wasn't enough um, black players yeah. in, the, in the team. Well, I think the row was not because of the, the, the current squad that's been selected. I think it was more around about the team that was selected against Argentina and mm. South Africa just uh, two weeks before the Rugby World Cup started, or three weeks before the Rugby World Cup started. And uh, there was only two black players in the team, and they put a white player they move a white player from uh, from centre Jesse Jesse Criddle, to wing in the place of a of a of a black player, which did nothing wrong, um, and that was the bigger biggest biggest concern for us as South Africans back home, um, and obviously the pressure was then on the coach to make sure that he selected the squad uh, with the thirty percent that was that was uh, promised by everyone to have them at, at the Rugby World Cup. Do you think that thirty percent is enough? Should it be less? Should it be more? Well, uh, the thirty percent, I think that was a request from 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 government, from everyone, the rugby supporters, uh, rugby uh, not supporters, but the rugby people, uh, the management of Asia Rugby, and they they got to the thirty percent. And I'm I'm a firm believer of if you don't enforce it upon them, they will never it will never happen. Uh, so. Yes, we're already at thirty percent, which is I mean, it is great. I mean, when I toured, uh, and uh, I was, we were thirty or forty players, thirty-six players actually, and uh, I was only, I was the only one that toured. Um, and then now we got at least nine players already in uh, touring and uh, a, a squad of thirty-one. Uh, by two thousand nineteen, they want fifty percent must be black and fifty percent must be white, and I think they can reach that point because uh, there's a lot of black players that is really um, looking f- looking good. They have talent. They have um, uh, some of them have p- potential. Uh, so yes, uh, those guys. I mean, there's definitely opportunity for us to to rectify everything that happened in the past. Do you feel everyone's getting a fair opportunity now? Then I would say everybody doesn't get that fair opportunity yet. Um, and that's my biggest concern. It's not so much the quota system. It's about giving the guys the opportunity to uh, establish themselves to make sure that they can prove that after five games, then I can tell me I haven't done my I haven't done my best. I, I mean I'm not good enough to play the level. So rightfully they can drop me. 
but you can't drop a player after playing 20 minutes, 10 minutes in a test and then drop him and say, you know, you had a chance. It's not, it's not possible. They can prove yourself. Um, when when the other white kid, kids get five, ten, ten times opportunities to play in the Springbok team to establish themselves, why can't they do it with the, with the black players? How much do you think the the sport has changed by going from amateur pro- to professional? Yeah, that trains uh, I mean, a lot, of course. Uh, the guys play train now from morning till evening, uh, not not physically on the field only, but also have video sessions, make sure that the the requirements for the diet requirements is right, and and that's what what the big change. That's the biggest change in rugby is that. Uh, we still had to go when I was playing as a uh, as a Springbok. I still had to go to work, and we train once or twice a week as a split Springbok team. Uh, getting because in those days we were not allowed to get a week before together uh, for a test, so um, you couldn't you could only have a week of training before you played a test. And nowadays you can train whenever you want to. Did Did you even think about nutrition in those days? Nutrition, no. I mean, those days I had to eat as much as I can because I was small. I had to get as big as possible. <laughs> there was not even a. Uh, I mean, we started and we started gym very late, and uh, and then we gym only once or twice a week. And nowadays, there's like specialized training sessions for for backline players, for outside backs, inside backs. Uh, you know, the loose forward, the tight five. You have all different kind of. Um, the um, gym sessions and uh, field sessions, so uh, which is uh, you know, it's it's a lot of time. It's time consuming a lot uh, those sessions, and I understand why it, they have to get paid as much as they do. Going to your coaching right now, do, do you teach your young players at the university about nutrition and? Uh, 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 are they told to eat healthily? That's the first thing uh, that we're actually working with them now is that, you know, because um, this is not my first uh, my first year that I'm actually taking this team and work. I've been there for two months now. And uh, so that, that's the main thing. So off-season preparation with regards to nutrition, to, um, fitness and conditioning. And those things is, is very important for me now the next two months or was for the last two months. Now we're going back in more into an in, pre-season uh, phase where so that's going to change also now the the, the 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 supplements that they use and what they have to eat and we that's why it's very important for them to have lunch and dinners with us to see that they're eating the right food mm-hmm. and uh, getting the right uh, supplements to, to use when for for not only for muscle building but also for recovery and so you say that's that's your aim right now uh, w- with your coaching. Are you a goal setting person? Do you set yourself targets? Do you self set yourself time limits of when you want to achieve certain things in your life? I don't think so that there's a time limit for me. I think is this. Uh uh, I think I'm a very uh, almost like a I wouldn't say a late developer, but my th- things always happen for me uh, later um, because then I it's probably then then I feel much more experienced. I feel much more secure in what I'm doing, and I feel more uh, what do you call it um, dominant. And when I do something, I know I can, it's the right thing to do. So it's I, I'm not rushing things, and so it, there's no no I don't have time frames to where I want, when and when I want to reach a, a certain point of coaching. Your Rugby World Cup victory was made into a movie, Invictus. Did, did I read that you were involved in the in the, in the the coaching of some of the... Yes, I was part of the of, of an on-set, working for on-set with, for three months with May Damon, Morgan Freeman and and, and uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, well, I must say, you know, obviously we used a lot of amateur club rugby players that's at a very low level, which I think the rugby scenes was not the best. 
um, but we had to do what we've worked with the players. But the most important thing was is that uh, the story out of the whole movie was more important than the rugby set, uh, upset set up uh, um, in the movie because people wanted to know what happened before, during and after uh, apartheid in South Africa. What did you think of the actor playing you? Well, I think he was really uh, ex ex rugby, you know, ex Primark himself, uh, McNeil Hendricks. Uh, he could have been a little bit quicker than it was. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you give him many tips on how to get a bit faster? No, he was. He was probably no. He was already retired as well himself from rugby, um, but uh, he was probably the best character that I could use at the time to for him to be my to play my role. And and. Was it weird watching it when you watched it for the first time, seeing that this is a story effectively of a very important part of your life? It was not weird. It was just interesting to see um, what happened, you know, like um, during the time before and after the, uh, the, the apartheid years and the rugby World Cup itself, Nelson Mandela behind, this, behind the scenes, what he, uh, what, is his, what, is his, what his planning was with the Rugby World Cup. Um, so it was quite interesting to see that, that uh, even though I knew what's coming, but you still wanted to see the movie itself, how, uh, how I would perceive it. And it was really good. It was, um, I think it would say 90, 95% is a really true story. And the other 5 to 10% was uh, Hollywood because it's just the way it is. It has to be some Hollywood in it. And that's why Matt Damon and uh, Morgan Freeman was part of it. And just a couple more questions. Firstly, do you have any regrets about your professional career, either as a player or as a coach so far? I don't think I have any regrets. Uh, probably as a as a player, as no no regrets. I just I just um, felt disappointed that I was not selected for the nineteen ninety nine Rugby World Cup uh, because I was say I was told that um, they had enough quota players, even though I played the nineteen ninety five Rugby World Cup and won it. Um, at that time, we were the only team anyone who wanted uh, the Rugby World Cup. And it was very disappointing to, to think that people still think that I was a development player at the time. And funny enough, in that year, I scored 11 tries, uh, the most tries scored by any Super Rugby player. So how could I be still a development player and not being selected anyway for that for that Rugby World Cup final? Um, that's, not, that's not a regret. It's just a disappointment uh, for me at the time. And then coaching-wise, I... Uh, maybe uh, probably when I was so close to be um, the coach of the Springbok team um, maybe I should have uh, accepted to be the assistant coach with Jake White um, this was 2007 that was 2006 I think 2006. and um, maybe I should have done that but I just felt at the time that I would like to learn more about the game um, at super rugby level. Unfortunately, the, the team that I had, the, uh, the, the Cats, they split the, the year after. And then obviously the coaches of the uh, respective uh, unions uh, were selected to be the coach. And I had to start all over again. But I'm not regretting it. I'm not regretting it. I, I think it's probably a blessing in disguise that it happened because now... Um, I've learned so much more about rugby and uh, over the time now. So is that still an ambition then? It will always be an ambition, you know. If it's uh, if it if it happens to to come, then it will be great. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to the challenge, and uh, if it when it comes, I'm, um, I'm I think I'm ready now. Uh, from I mean, because uh, I've had 15 years of experience of coaching. Um, I think the most important thing of of coaching is is management. You know, the management of of players, because the coaching of the coaching is very easy because you understand the game. You know, the requisite for being a coach. Uh, on the field is so much easier than off the field. Mm. So you're, you're you're the kind of coach who will take a few moments with a player, spend a day with them, or or, or do you try and go? Because th- a, a lot of management I hear these days is that uh, players have to go through the assistant coach mm. and then speak to the coach. Mm. How, how does it no, work? With you? Uh, for me, it's very important that I get feedback from the from the assistant coach. But I also would I would always have one on one with the individual itself, which is very important that. That relationship between myself and the player is more important than anything else, um, because that relationship with the individual make the player a team player instead of an individual in the team. Well, this has all been very, very interesting. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have a Facebook? If people want to reach out and find out more about Chester Williams, where where would they go? I have a foundation, the Chester Williams Foundation. Um, can just uh, go www.chesterwilliamsfoundation uh, and then also I'm on Twitter Chester uh, Williams uh, Chester WM um, dot Williams and uh, I've got Facebook my Facebook I mean everybody can follow me on Facebook <laughs> so I try to be at all I mean um, a WeChat WhatsApp what I mean of course they can write to me whenever I want to so I'm, I'm available I'm available and open to speak to people you're connected around the world that's fantastic no it's very important to be connected around the world you know because yeah i'm sitting in england and we never know where will i end up next time well it's definitely been a pleasure talking to you today chester williams thank you for being the best in the world thank you very much (laughs) the best in the world podcast with richard parr There we have it, the first podcast in the best in the world with Richard Parr. What a fascinating guy Chester Williams is. The 1995 World Cup winner with South Africa. Of course, this Saturday we have the final between Australia and New Zealand. I'm sure you'll all be watching. Really interesting to get the insights from Chester on things such as Nelson Mandela, the movie Invictus, nutrition, time management. It was really intriguing speaking to him. And we've got great guests coming up. I'll be speaking to squash players, Paralympians, hockey players, footballers. We've got lots lined up here on the Best in the World podcast. So stay tuned. Follow me on Twitter. Check the iTunes feed. We're coming out every Wednesday. But for now, I'll see you next time on the Best in the World. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 